All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you to Sunny Han. Sunny is the CEO and founder of Fulcrum, a manufacturing ERP platform dedicated to helping manufacturers build a better future. He led Fulcrum to raise a $3.1 million seed round of venture capital in 2020. And Sunny is dedicated to delivering a connected future where frictionless manufacturing production and supply chains lead to faster and better product innovation. Sunny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. So share with us a little bit about your background, where you started and what led you to doing what you're doing today. Yeah, there's no magical story. My entire childhood was spent playing with computers and writing software and, and making friends with people that played video games with me and things like that. So I uh, have a deep-seated past in, in technology. And how I got into manufacturing was really just having no direction after college and working in the consulting industry and being exposed to a lot of manufacturers. So spent almost a decade working with midsize and, and small manufacturers. So, you know, between five to 10 employees, all the way up to hundreds or thousands of employees. And the flavor of that work was mostly in organizing them, helping them communicate better internally, implementing technologies to help with that, implementing ERP systems, customizing them, writing custom software on top of them, helping them position themselves in the market correctly, doing all sorts of different things. And it was through that experience of learning about all different types of manufacturing that I started to get this hunch, this idea that a new operating system for manufacturing could drive a very different future of how manufacturers work with technology. So it wasn't as if I was born on a shop floor with a a, a, a tool for a lathe in my hand or something like that. It, it, the, a very circuitous path that, that led me here, but it's something that I've definitely fallen in love, definitely fallen in love with over time. You know, and that's really what we need because not only do you bring more youth to manufacturing than what we're seeing for the most part as the silver tsunami is going and people are retiring in record numbers, but that easy adaptation that you bring to technology and your love of manufacturing kind of all woven together is exactly what the type of things that we need to change the conversation. I mean, there's so much focus on ERP and technology and everything in manufacturing. But as you and I spoke a couple minutes before the show, we still need to have that focus on humans. So you know, how do you look at that as far as what is that ideal mix of making sure we're taking care of our employees, attracting them into manufacturing, retaining them, and bringing in the technology that we need to move forward? I think there's this weird tension that exists right now. Um, and I think most people don't understand it. And I didn't really understand it for a long period of time. And I don't think I still fully understand it. But manufacturing has been the origin of a lot of business concepts. Six Sigma, Lean, Agile, Kanban, Kaizen, all of these concepts that have been ported over to software development and other businesses they were developed primarily to make manufacturing more efficient and have these processes available so that we can continuously improve and things like that. So I think things like that, like 
there's a statistic that over half of all of the software programmers in the world in the 1983 were CNC machine uh, programmers and, and writing hmm. software for manufacturers. There's this, this history, this rich history of manufacturing, both supporting, sponsoring, and ultimately spreading the word of technology out into the world. They, that's where they started. And yet at this moment in time, most people, when you ask them about manufacturing, if you're asking a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old or even a 30-year-old, they the impression is that it's an old backwards industry that's dirty and a little less technologically advanced. So this, I think this tension is, is weird and strange, but the fact of the matter is that manufacturing is not really a commoditized thing. It actually takes skill and knowledge to be able to know how to operate a lathe or to operate a laser cutter and program it. It takes skill and knowledge to understand what different gauges of metal and how they react and different, you know, EPDM ratings on rubber and how it melts and how it extrudes through an aperture and things like that. I think there's a lot of craft that goes into it. And I think what we're seeing right now from the newer generation is that there is a little bit more of a risk aversion, but there's a lot more of a desire to know something that's deeper, know something that is a craft. And so I'm, I'm very, very bullish on a return of a younger generation into manufacturing. That's going to happen very soon, in, in my opinion. But that's also going to be really, really human focused. A lot of times people ask me like, the future of manufacturing has to be automated, has to be mostly machine driven. And I think that's the case. I think that we're moving into a future where there's going to be more and more machines doing things that otherwise humans would do uh, out of necessity because of the labor force. But I don't think that transition is going to happen over two years. I think it's going to take 30 years to transition. And in the interim, we're going to need a group of wonderful humans that can both program the machines, create them, but ultimately do the work that humans are meant to do, which are creative communicative and roles and, and responsibilities that are far more about what understanding what humans want instead of just the execution of making a component or a part. So a long-winded answer, but hopefully that gives you some context of where my head's at on that subject. Well, and it's something that I think a lot of manufacturers that have been doing this for a long time, it's like they're in the, we've always done it this way. There's no need to fix things that aren't broken. Um, and they're afraid of technology because they think that technology and automation is going to replace jobs. And in some cases, it will. But if we could replace the grunt work, if we could replace that, like you said, the non-creative, just the, uh, the things on the line and have a machine do that and then allow the humans to be creative and then to work with the technology. I mean, I know I was just at the Fabtech show and walking around. I love watching robotics. I love watching technology because it's fascinating. So if I'm fascinated by it, imagine somebody walking into a manufacturing plant and seeing the robot, seeing the automation. It becomes a recruiting tool like, hey, I want to work there. This is the coolest thing ever. Sure. Absolutely. I think that there's a, a, a big draw that is about to happen because software is going to get a lot better, a lot easier to use. It's going to be a lot, a lot less clipboards and, and pencil and paper and whiteboards. It's going to be a lot less manually moving things around. It's going to be a lot more of feeling like this robotic automation is augmenting you as a human and the technology and software automation is going to augment you in your brain as a, as a human as well. So to me, we're moving towards a future in construction and manufacturing specifically where people who work 
in them as operators are going to start to feel really superhuman with all these tools and all this automation that's around them. So I think that's going to be really exciting and, and not just as a recruiting tool, but just kind of as a change in the paradigm about how people think about manufacturing in general. Right. I mean, back in the days when I was selling into manufacturing, it was really everything your mother ever warned, warned you about, you know, dark, dirty, and dangerous. And now, again, you have the, that technology that's fun. And I think one of the biggest gifts of COVID that came out of this whole thing was how it sped up technology. Because where people were afraid to use it before, they realized that number one, they had to use it. And it's so much easier. There's so much technology that is just intuitive that it's not nearly as scary as it used to be. So I think that we've had in these last 19 months or so, more of this transition that we would have never had had it not be for the, this pandemic. Yeah, I think everybody's on Zoom. We're on Zoom right now. And, and I think it's just a lot less scary for most people. People are consuming media online. They're doing a lot of things online. They're storing things online. They're you know, subscribing to different services. That shift really was already happening, but accelerated almost to completion just in the last year and a half. So whereas before a lot of our customers or prospects would would be maybe a little queasy about having their, their software be on the cloud, we really don't have anybody care about, not care about that, but worry about that anymore. So I think that's that's definitely some uh, a component inside there. But I, I also think that too, that this thinking about how things work, thinking about how you work as a human being has changed as well. Like not just with remote work, but what is gratifying about work, it has changed as well. So I think all of those things is it's leaving us in a market with a really open mind. I think that's a really good opportunity to steer the market in the right way, to, to make the ecosystem go in a way that's that's positively reinforcing instead of one that's more insular and things like that. So, and, and just to touch back on one of the points you just made, implementing ERP systems, implementing machines, implementing pallet systems, implementing warehouse systems, these were really painful experiences for a lot of manufacturers 10, 20, 30 years ago. So it makes sense that they're really hesitant to do it again, but I think they'll start to discover that it's just a very different process now. We've advanced quite a bit as an entire industry. So Now, if you were to bring out your crystal ball, uh, what, what are you seeing as far as U.S. manufacturing in the future? I, I see things that are coming back. I see automotive manufacturers that are missing a bolt or a brake press piece of sheet metal that otherwise was made in bulk overseas that's coming back and, and being done here locally. I see lots of companies that are struggling to meet the demand of being able to quote things fast enough to get things out the door. I see blanket orders increasing in popularity and releases being more dynamic. And I see order quantities going lower and I, I see relationships getting a little bit deeper. So I think that a lot of things that we did to gain efficiencies 10, 15, 20 years ago by outsourcing to Asia or other places in the world, some of that is going to start getting undone with concerns about climate change, with concerns about supply chain flexibility and agility. I think that the cat's out of the bag that we really rode that rocket of growth based on ordering large volumes from overseas and taking advantage of economic disparity. That economic disparity is shrinking the ability for us to say that the future is not going to be volatile is going away. And I think that we're going to see a, a larger than expected amount of re-onshoring of work very soon. 
And I think the really intelligent, smart, and prescient manufacturing business owners and business leaders are pre-planning and are preparing as much as they can for that and making sure that they're ready to, to take advantage of it as it happens. So. so, and along those lines, you know, what is some of the advice that you would have as these manufacturers are planning that can help them to win business going forward? I think speed is really important. I think in the past where you might've been able to go back and forth for two or three months and, and try to establish a relationship, most people are trying to get an answer really quickly. I think this concept of building a relationship first before vetting out whether the relationship's going to happen, that's flipped a bit where a buyer from a large manufacturing uh, company is, is not really going to be as tolerant of having a longer relationship before buying from you. They're going to want to know what is your quality? What are your pricing? Like, how do you operate? Where are you geographically? What's your capacity? Much sooner because they're now starting to talk to more and more vendors because they want more stability. And so I think that is a change that, that's happening that, that the market needs to react to by getting answers faster, potentially taking a little bit more risk and potentially understanding that price is no longer the primary factor in some different fields and the ability to react quickly, to have excess capacity, to be able to take build a little bit more. I think these larger manufacturers are realizing that their component vendors that they're buying from the tier two, tier three, tier four ones that we work with a lot, they need them to be able to increase their supply by 30% or decrease it by 10%. And that relationship is worth a lot of money because they, they understand what it means to have a bunch of AC units sitting out in their warehouse, not able to be shipped out because it's missing a rubber gasket, or they're having a bunch of RVs sitting out that can't be bought because it's missing a certain bolt. So I think that that was just not included in these large spreadsheets that these people make decisions with before. And now that it's made it into the model, you can actually deliver more value just by being flexible and fast. And it sounds like there's a lot of communication that goes along with that to build those relationships, to set yourself apart from just being the cheapest manufacturer on the, the market. So what are some of the things that you've been seeing from the companies that you work with as far as how they're communicating, how often they're communicating, how they are building those relationships for the long term? I think a lot of it is is still up in the air. It's still being developed right now. I think it's just a new dance that everybody's playing. So I wouldn't say that there's any sort of magical recipe. I think just being open-minded and there's a certain amount of intuition that we all have that's based on experiences, right? Like that's where our intuition comes from. Learning that potentially the future is very different than the past and taking a few risks in a, in a very strategic way is probably the best way for you to learn a new dance with a, a new dance partner, if you will, uh, in, in how to relate to some of these other companies. So I would say that things that you otherwise would have immediately said no to, smaller production runs or whatever, maybe try it out. See if you can make it happen with the people that you have. There is some complexity that's going to arise from that, and there's a cost to that complexity. But the increased amount of margins and the increased amount of revenue that you might get from these activities could more than offset that complexity and that cost and that burden. So I think just being more open-minded and being willing to kind of stomach a little bit more volatility in the short term, I think that's probably the best advice in terms of how to make sure that you're going to benefit and, and, and reap some benefit from this, this volatility. Looking long-term instead of the short-term pain that you may be going through to get there. So as we 
think about the changes again with the generations, uh, millennials, Gen Z starting to come into the workplace and, and attracting them into manufacturing. There's some things going along. I mean, we, we're looking at succession planning, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of owners there that have sons and daughters that are in line to take it over. So as people start to process, maybe they're not thinking about selling their business tomorrow, but at some point, it would be nice to retire and, and have that next person, have those next people ready to take over the ship. So again, when we're looking at introducing these new generations into the workforce and that kind of succession planning to prepare your business either for succession or for sale, what are some of the things that you're seeing that work along those lines? Yeah, I think that the market out there is really active. A piece of context that a lot of manufacturers might be missing is that because the stock market's doing so well, because there's so much liquidity and, and capital out there, private equity companies that are traditionally buy manufacturers as their bread and butter acquisition targets, they just have a lot more money and they have a lot more pressure to, to deploy that money and to buy businesses. So that, that isn't to say that every business's value is going to go up, but it does mean that the availability of buyers is, is really high. And, and you're, there's probably a lot of folks that are being inundated with emails from companies that are looking to buy them, some of them with names that they, they can't recognize whatsoever. So there is a need to vet them out and make sure that they're legitimate and make sure that they're going to do the things that you want to do with the business long-term. And if, you're, if your employees are important to you, to make sure that you're able to, to carve a deal out that, that, that will serve you correctly. I think though that the thing that most people miss is you think on the worst day of your business life, that giving, getting rid of the business and selling it is going to be easy. And just finding someone to give you enough money for it is, is the only thing that's difficult. But the moment it comes to walk away and the business is still functioning and the machines are still worrying and the people are still busy doing things and the customers are still getting product shipped, removing yourself and your ego from that business is incredibly difficult. So the companies where the owner has already kind of done that and stepped back and the business is self-sufficient and has management in place, they have the tools in place, they have the processes in place, those companies are significantly more attractive to outside investors and outside acquirers than those that are not. And the thing that I think, what if I were to give advice to a family member that owned a manufacturing facility is that you just have to be honest with yourself you might not be the person that wants to sell and that's okay. But trying to be both, I think is where the danger comes in. If you're doing that assessment of yourself and you know that you're probably too tied into your business and not as able to walk away, what are some of the, the baby steps to kind of put those processes in place to gradually start that process of moving out to make your business more sellable? I think a lot of times for business owners, the truth about the business rests in their brain and their brain only. And there's a process called due diligence where anybody who's going to buy you is going to try to know the truth about your business. It's not like they're trying to poke holes in your story or whatever it is. It's not adversarial. It can feel adversarial for sure. But just like if you're going to buy a car, you're going to want to go check it out, take it for a test drive, things like that. And the easier you can make that process, the more that the truth about the business is written down on paper, is in reports, is in things that can be easily reproduced and, and, and also verified, the better. I think also 
a, a clean shop, which everybody preaches, is a much more valuable, intangible aspect of things as possible. Most of these investors are all not all. They're, they're, most of them are not operators. They're not going to come in and operate the business. And making sure that there's a good working environment that people would want to work in and, and it makes it easier to recruit other folks to, to come work at your company and a calm demeanor about everything that has a huge intangible value because it tells the investor and, and the acquirer, this company is going to be able to be just fine without either the owner or without me having to step in. Now, there are some smaller private equity companies that are called search funds where they, they, they do absolutely put an operator in to the business to manage it and to run it. And there's some larger funds that do that as well. So it really just depends on the company that you're working with. But overall, if the company can be really self-sufficient without somebody else coming in to, to run it after the owner leaves, that makes a much more attractive acquisition target. So those are just some small, not small things, very big things, but things that are very important to get in order to make sure that a sale is possible. And if you were thinking, because we covered a lot of ground in our time together, if you were thinking about your top tip to give to a manufacturer listening today, whether it be about the focus on humans or the future of manufacturing or ways to, to, that they can prepare their business for future sale, what would be your best top tip or two that somebody can use today? Yeah, I think a lot of times when people think about change, it gets really scary. And so I think my top tip is just to find something that grounds you back into reality as you start thinking about what the future might look like. None of us can predict the future. My crystal ball is cloudy all the time. Um, but I would say that what I would do if I was a manufacturer today is I would think about the fact that I'm working with something very physical and very real. You can boil down manufacturing into very concrete principles. You're taking energy, heat, electricity, whatever it may be, adding it to material. And hopefully when you're done with it, you make that material more useful, a different shape, a different use. It fits in something else. It does something for somebody at some point in time. And no matter what happens with robot arms or with vision systems or with data collection or with new ERP systems, none of that really matters compared to what you have to do. No matter what, manufacturing will always be about taking atoms and material and adding some energy to it to make it different. So if you can ground yourself in that and remind yourself that those things that you know, the craft that you have, that's irreplaceable. That knowledge is infinitely valuable to human civilization in general. All the other stuff is to facilitate it, to make it better. That can help people kind of rationalize this advancement into the future while still staying grounded in something that's very real. Awesome. So from a networking standpoint, if you were to think about something that you might like to learn from other manufacturers, and by the same token, some of, what would be some of your expertise that you would be willing to share with somebody who connected with you, what would that look like? I'm always endlessly fascinated by how everything connects together, how people are found, where they're shipping things to, like how they do things, what are the what are the, the nooks and crannies of, of what they're able to produce and why and what sort of people and what geography are working. So any experiences where I get to continue to talk to manufacturers and continue to learn from them, I am always looking for those experiences. So if anybody wants to share their story with me, ever wants to connect, I will make, that's my one of my number one priorities is making sure that I'm continuously plugged into 
to what's actually going on in manufacturing. Our customers have been really gracious with their time to allow me to to, to hop in and, and, and take shop tours and, and, and learn from them. But those experiences also are always really valuable. In terms of what I can offer, if there's anybody that needs introductions, if they, they're looking at, at some deal or some something that they, they're just not sure of, if they're unsure about where the future lies, if they're unsure about anything, if they have any questions about technology, about software, about anything like that, I'm, I'm more than happy to help and, and give any sort of advice where I actually have expertise, so. And as we get to the end of our time together, what are some of the ways that you work with your clients? And if somebody did want to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Our software, Fulcrum, is an operating system for manufacturing. You you might think of it as an MES or an MRP or an ERP or whatever one of these uh, analogies are. But for us, we handle everything that has to do with manufacturing. For some of our customers, it's quoting. For others, it's, it's production management, it's quality control, it's inventory, it's receiving, it's shipping, it's managing bill of materials and revisions and, and documents. It's all of that. And so the way that we work with our customers, is we make sure that we fit them, our entire sales process about making sure the products can be really good for them. And then if we are, we do the implementation ourselves, we help them, we, we're very generous with our time, and our goal is to get them up and running on our platform as fast as possible, to get them value as fast as possible. So that's the primary way that we work with our customers. We provide the platform, the operating system that the rest of their business kind of folds on top of, that runs just about everything that's in there. Um, to get a hold of us, if you want to talk to me directly, for anybody who's listening to a podcast, you can always email me directly. It's sunny like the weather, S-U-N-N-Y at fulcrumpro.com. And the best way to get a hold of us as a company is you can just go to fulcrumpro.com, book a demo, take a, a look at our screenshots of our product, talk to one of us through our, our chat bot or whatever it is that you want to do. But that's probably the best resource to learn more about us and get in contact with us. All right. Well, Sunny, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Likewise, it's been a pleasure being on the show. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you. 